Big news. Uh, the Hoff is in New Zealand. The Hoff is in New Zealand. The Hoff being, of course, David Hasselhoff. Um, most famous uh, for starring in Knight Rider, would you say? I don't know. Would you? Isn't he Baywatch? He's Baywatch. He was in Baywatch as well. I don't actually know anything he's done. I've never watched Baywatch. He's one of those guys. He's really, really famous. He's kind of like uh, the Kardashians in a way. <laughs> just like fam- oh just famous. In my head. He's famous for being famous, yeah. He's more than that. But just, you know, those yeah. people who are just famous. And if you're German, you will, of course, be familiar with his music. You would have been brought up on a diet of it. Apparently he's hanging out with Reese Darby, oh, and they are nice. filming, uh, reportedly, a new reality TV show together called Hoff Roading. Oh, yeah. oh wow. Clever. Whoever came up with that must be so proud of themselves and then just resigned from life, retired. Yeah. That's all they needed. To live off the royalties. Um, he was spotted in Stewart Island. I think a police officer spotted him. But also, Hoff, if you're listening, come on, Usable. Yeah, give us a call. We're fun. You're fun. You can explain to me why you're famous, I guess. All right, that's our pitch, David. We look yeah. forward to hearing from you. And until then, we'll get on with today's show. Kia ora, this is Newsboy. I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. We have the exclusive results from the post-Freshwater Strategy political poll. Also, there are urgent calls for tourism operators to stop offering holiday packages through China's Xinjiang region. We chat to a human rights advocate about why this is a problem. You've heard of lab-grown meat, but what about lab-grown fruit? We're meeting the scientist who's trying to make it happen. And the X-rated reason why some snacks inspired by a children's TV show have had to be recalled. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. More bad news for Labour. A post poll out this morning reveals that Labour's support has plummeted to a six-year low, sitting at a level not seen since before Jacinda Ardern's Labour Party takeover. The post-freshwater strategy poll sees National take a strong lead on 36% and Labour getting 26% of the vote. That's down 24 points since the 2020 election. The Greens are on 12%, ACT on 11 Te Pāti Māori on 3 and New Zealand First has more than well and truly entered the conversation, hitting 6% in this poll, inching past that 5% threshold needed to enter Parliament without an electorate seat. But... Where do voters stand on preferred Prime Minister ratings? Well, joining us now to unpack these results is Stuff Political Editor Luke Malpass. Welcome, welcome. Hey, guys. Luke, on these numbers, what would the next government look like? Ah, well, it would look it would be a National Act government. The right bloc would claim uh, 66, the left would claim uh, 53. So no need for New Zealand First. This, as we mentioned, is the lowest result for Labour that we've seen since mid-2017, uh, pre-Jacinda Ardern's uh, invigoration of the party. Gee, what, what does this tell us about the Labour Party at this point in time, Luke? Well, I make a couple of observations. The first is the poll's last day in the field was the day that the National Party's uh, tax plan came out, and it also doesn't capture the campaign launches. So, the, you know, there could be a bit of movement around there. You'd expect that during election. But uh, I think what it really suggests is that Labour's on the nose and that the National Party and the ACT parties, uh, I guess, domination of Labour of the last 21 months has, has really yielded some fruit. 
With what appears to be a disillusionment with Labour, though, would you have expected to see National doing better, higher numbers? You'd have expected them doing a little bit better, but I think the thing to point out, this poll has acted on 11% and National on 36 Combined, that's 47%. If you think about when John Key was in power, National won power with sort of 47%, but of that act was 1%. So the general centre-right vote is about about tracks, but I think it's definitely fair to say that National would have hoped that Luxon would have been able to secure more votes in the middle to really push that centre-right vote up around the 50 or beyond mark, and precisely because of all the issues that are really in National's favour, and that's economy crime, cost of living. Luke, one of the factors that we're always told to pay pretty close attention to is, of course, uh, preferred prime minister tells tells you quite a lot about the sentiment of the electorate. And uh, this is an interesting point that Chris Hipkins still seems to be hanging on by a thread there. He does, but at 45 to 43, I mean, that that's virtually nothing. It is mostly the case that when a prime minister is, is you know, is in office and they're doing well, they'll tend to dominate opposition leaders um, unless someone comes in from left field, like John Key, for example. You know, when he came in, prime ministers tend to dominate preferred PM ratings. The fact that they're neck and neck, I think, just suggests that there isn't any great enthusiasm uh, for either of them. One in five voters uh, from this poll are undecided or soft in their voting intention. How significant is that? Well, I think that's very significant. This is something that both National Labour um, are particularly interested in because uh, these are voters who could go either way, potentially. And the Labour Party strategy is clearly just to make as many people in the public just feel nervous about Christopher Luxon and the National Party, that they might take things away from you. And he's a bit of a weird guy you can't trust. And at the same time, National's trying to win them over by saying, well, look, guys, Labour's been there for six years. Uh, Hipkins has been there for the same amount of time and they're pretty useless. So, you know, if you want a clean break from kind of COVID and the bad economy, then um, then you should go in our direction. Just quickly, don't know if you listened to our podcast a wee while back. We talked about some interesting poll questions that they used in the UK. Can we ask people who they'd rather have pets at their cat? This poll that's running today is actually not the most interesting that we have coming up over the uh, following week. We'll have a number of stories. We've asked people a significant number of questions that over the next few days I think will actually reveal more about where the public's sitting on all of this than just the than just the headline numbers, which do move around quite a lot. Pet sitting? Couldn't, couldn't possibly say. Could, couldn't possibly say. Luke Melfast, a pleasure as always. Thank you for unpacking the numbers. My pleasure. Shortly, we are chatting to a very clever man who is working on creating lab-grown fruit. So naturally, we want to know if this is something you would want to eat. We've got a poll up on Instagram, so go and vote. Just find us at NewsableNZ. International travel and tourism operators are being called out and urged to stop selling holiday packages to China's Xinjiang region. The reason why? Because the Chinese government has been accused, of course, of crimes against humanity for its treatment of Uyghur Muslims in the Xinjiang province. Those crimes against humanity accusations include, but aren't limited to, things such as mass detention, re-education and oppression of religion. So why is it a destination being sold as a holiday package? Joining us now to discuss this further is 
is Henrik Szajewski from the Uyghur Human Rights Project and the author of the report exposing these strange tourism ventures. Kia ora and welcome to Newsable. Thank you and uh, aloha kako. Nice to be on the program. First of all, Henrik, how many tourism companies are selling Xinjiang as a holiday and where are these tourism operators based? Are they local? Are they in China? Well, through my research, I uncovered seven international travel companies offering tours to the Uyghur region. And I believe that there may be more out there. These were the ones that I could find online. And these are based in North America, in Europe, and also in Australia. But some of these companies have offices in multiple spaces. You say offering a tour. What is actually on offer on a tour of Xinjiang? Primarily, they visit three destinations, which is the regional capital of Urumqi, the southern city of Kashgar, and then a nearby city of Turpan. And uh, in Urumqi, it's mostly a logistics hub, but there's a regional museum there that offers exhibitions on on ethnic culture in Turpan. It's mostly desert-oriented tourism. And then in Kashgar, it's focused a lot on Uyghur culture. Henrik, can you outline why you and the Uyghur Human Rights Project say offering holiday packages and offering Xinjiang as a tourist destination is extremely problematic and, to quote you, disastrous? Yeah, I think the optics of it are certainly disastrous for these companies. You have a lot of Uyghurs overseas who are unable to visit or return home and uh, they're unable to speak to their relatives. So the idea of, of sending tourists into spaces where Uyghurs themselves are unable to go is, you know, it is disastrous, in my opinion. There's a, an angle, of course, of profiteering off of these chores while there are ongoing crimes against humanity. But also the reification of the, the Chinese government's narrative of Uyghurs as an exotic people and not having the ability to develop their own culture in their own ways. Is there not also an argument on the on the opposite hand, though, that sunlight is the best disinfectant and that going to these places is a, a way of holding the Chinese government to account? Yeah, I think on the one hand, there's a piece of this that says that what are you going to go see? Are you going to actually see a genuine experience or is this something that's managed by the state? We're not actually saying that don't travel. We're saying these mm. companies should not be organising tours. Have you spoken to and then had any response from any of these seven tourism operators? Yeah, we have. And uh, to their credit, we spoke to Intrepid Travel before we went to publication and they listened to us and our concerns very attentively. And since the publication of the report, they've taken down their tour. A second travel company has taken down its tour too, that is Go Away Travel. We've had responses from one company, Bamboo. They, they believe that uh, travel is a force for good by, by sending tourists into these spaces. Henrik Szajewski, thanks for your time. Thanks, Emil, and thanks, Imogen. We're still going to talk about the scientists trying to grow fruit from a petri dish, but while I've got your attention here, if you are enjoying what you're hearing, you know what I'm about to say. Go on, chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. It really does help other people find us. Kia ora Aotearoa and welcome to The Big Stuff Quiz. I'm your host, Imogen Wells, alongside my assistant, the wonderful Chris Reid. Hello everyone. Each week we'll release a new episode to test your wits with two rounds of ten questions. One potluck round and another that's very loosely themed. A bit tangential even. Such a good word. If you think you're up for the challenge, go and follow our show on your favourite podcast platform, The Big Stuff Quiz, is out now. The Big Stuff Quiz is proudly brought to you by Melbourne. Every bit different.
We've all heard of lab-grown meat, but how about lab-grown fruit? Yeah, a team of scientists at Plant and Food Research have been working on in vitro cultivation of a bunch of different types of fruits, which could be a bit of a game changer when it comes to food production and sustainability. Dr. Ben Shon is the lead scientist on the project, and he's with us now. G'day, Ben. G'day, Neil. Thanks for having me. Lab-grown meat, as we alluded to, it's been a thing for a while now. So when did you clever sciencey people realise that lab-grown fruit could be a thing as well? The project on lab-grown fruit or food by design as we're calling it, that programs come out of, um, I guess, a, a wider uh, direction of work that um, Plant and Food are really interested in around controlled environment growing for plants. But we see that the lab-grown fruit is a, kind of the ultimate in controlled environment, right? So you you got, starting with only the cells, you've got control over everything that happens to them. And then at the end, we want to be producing just the, the edible bit, the piece of fruit that that we want to eat. The benefits of lab-grown meat are somewhat obvious, right, considering the environmental impact that animals can have on the environment and uh, potentially moral hazards of raising and slaughtering animals. Fruit already grows in the ground. Are there benefits to having lab-grown fruit in the same way that there are to lab-grown meat? Yeah, I'd say there are definitely potential benefits. So um, obviously there's not that same ethical driver. You know, not too many Mm. people get upset about eating a, a plant as opposed to an animal. The benefits for cell-based or lab-grown fruit would really need to be around those sustainability questions. But also, you know, we're expecting population growth in the near future. You know, what is it, 9 billion people by 2050, they reckon there's going to be. And, and a lot of those people are going to be living in cities. So where people are, are living is going to be changing. We've also got a whole lot of stuff that's likely to change relating to um, climate change and where we can grow our crops and where we can't, what's available and what isn't. The lab-grown fruit is really around having something that's delicious and fresh, that's healthy for, for the people that want to eat it. And, you know, it provides food security, so, a you know, continuous supply, you know, and, and really I can see it going alongside the traditional production systems like, you know, orchards and that. What sort of fruits are you already creating? Yeah, so we've been looking at sourcing our plant cells from a, a range of different plants, and including things like berry fruit. So we've got some blueberry cells cultured in the lab. We've got some cells from some summer fruit, like cherries and peaches. And we've got some more traditional crops, like apples and, and grapes. So we've been looking at a whole range of stuff, but this is a you know pretty early on in the science. And we need to know how we can grow the cells. We need to know how we can control what they do so that they will produce the flavors we want and the textures we want. We need to know how we can put those together into a food. So there's there's still lots and lots to do. I'm Ben Sean, thank you so much for your time. Can't wait to eat a lab-grown blueberry. Perfect. Thanks. I'm Tova O'Brien, and this week on the Tova podcast from Stuff, an interview with Prime Minister Christopher Luxon. We met at Central District's Field Days to talk tax, police pay, Ruby Tui, and his political value judgments. Oh, and we heard his verdict on the conversation too. Not that he meant us to. All that plus the winners and losers of the week with Andrea Vance, Luke Malpass at the Labour Party caucus retreat, and your feedback. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Kakite. Are you ready for a bit of a giggle? I was born ready, I will die ready. 
<laughs> Thank you for giving me the giggle. <laughs> uh, an urgent recall message has been issued by the UK's arm of Lidl, you know, that uh, sort of like a budget supermarket chain, yeah. very mm-hmm. popular. Why, you may be asking? Why is that, Imogen? <laughs> because the five packs of its Paw Patrol branded bickies have a URL on the back of it that's not suitable for children. It has a website on the back that takes you to what's described as a holding page with sexually explicit imagery, <laughs> a.k.a. porn, <laughs> on the back of a children's picky packet. I don't, even, I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> Little says, please return the biscuits ASAP uh, because the website has, quote, been compromised. <laughs> Please don't, please refrain from you from viewing the URL, uh, says Little. And if you bring your bookies back, they'll be fully refunded. When we talk about Paw Patrol, we are talking about the beloved children's TV show here, aren't we? The one and only. Okay. So th- there is a high chance that many of these <laughs> packets of bookies <laughs> with this rogue URL on them have been sold. They've not given the numbers out, but it has been confirmed that all of the products all of these packets of bickies across the UK have this porn website on the back. I mean, to be fair, no toddler's going to be typing it in. Uh, but from my understanding, Paw Patrol, of course, is a mainstay in households with kitties. And the bickies look yum. Yeah, They've do. got like a butter bickie, a chalky yeah. chip. They look like stuff that parents would be buying. Yeah. So you can't unring the bell. On this one, no, um, no. So no. sympathies to little, um, sympathies to Paw Patrol, sympathies to the children, <laughs> sympathies to the children. <laughs> and uh, I think this is one of those. Gee, we made a mistake. Um, Big mistake. Let's let's not let it happen again. <laughs> I think what it is though is that the website's been compromised, right? No, I don't think. By the sounds of things, this isn't a rogue <laughs> employee going <laughs> hitting the nuclear button. <laughs> And we'll leave it there. That's newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Emil Donovan. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch you tomorrow. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support.